0: Is our intro by Ball and Chain, uh, and it's Wade Major back with
1: Tim Cogshell.
0: Mark is still uh, Mark is, is back from back from Paris, but uh, getting his life back in order, and we'll have him give us a full postmortem on his uh, his romantic life uh, next week. Um, in any case, uh, Tim Oscar nominations seem to go fairly according
1: to plan.
0: For the most part, all the films that we thought were going to be in the mix were were in the mix.
1: Yeah, look, it's it's a less controversial year this year because the Oscar's so white. Uh, Meme is not there. I think this is the first time I've said it all year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I. Yeah. I don't think i uh, Other than to say that it's not there, which of course has to do with uh, the amount of material in the pipeline yeah. uh, that allowed things to be. Not, so it, look, it'll it'll be an interesting. Uh, it'll be an interesting season. I still think La La Land's going to run the table on just about everything. It it, 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 it seems strong. I tell you what. What what is interesting to me? Because everyone uh, loves
0: it. Everyone truly loves it. it. Did it, you it, did you see the Saturday Night Live sketch? No. What about happened? a week or two ago? It, where, where they where Aziz Ansari is getting uh, is um, he's in an interrogation room, and he's the guy who didn't think La La Land was the greatest movie of all time, right? <laughs> and so you know they come in and they really give him they just rake him over the coals. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Fantastic!
1: How could you be a man yeah. yeah, fun.
0: Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean I think that pushes all the buttons the Academy likes. Look, we've in recent years we've had Birdman and we've had The Artist. Anything that sort of Scratches Hollywood's back and tells artists and actors that they're wonderful and filmmakers that they're amazing.
1: And, and, and it's 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 a very likable story. Yeah. Uh, told uh, by likable characters, mm-hmm. uh, featuring uh, some really astounding achievements by some very lovely young filmmakers. Yeah. Justin Hurowitz walking around. He did the music for a lot of yeah. The, the, yeah. most of the score. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course, Damien Chazelle walking around. The, yeah. you know, these are just all lovely, young, fresh Hollywood filmmakers. They're you can't, all younger than they're, we they're are. They're all younger than my I, Dude, I got sneakers older than yeah. these kids. Yeah. Uh, but they... They put a good look on Hollywood. They really, really do. Really do. Uh, they, they they make Hollywood look like it's engaged and it's doing stuff and that it's not lingering in the past. Yeah. You gotta love it. I love those guys. Yeah. No. It's 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 gonna be
0: a fun. It's gonna be a fun run up to the awards. And what the thing that I always think of that now I we get the nominations in uh, in early February and we have the awards in late February. That's how this thing yeah, or I or, or late January. We get January. the awards in late January. January awards, and, we, right? and we get the awards in late February. It's the January to February thing. And I'm thinking, wow, you remember how it used to be we wouldn't get the nominations until I mean, all the critics groups would still do December, but we wouldn't get the nominations until about the second week in February. February yeah, yeah. And then the awards were late March.
1: Yeah, in the spring, and you were well into the sort of spring movie season. Yeah, did uh, make it much
0: better this way. Long, I mean, I, it does feel better this way. It, it, I just, it's funny because the Oscar season used to be so long. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've got we got tons of stuff. We're not going to get through nearly all of it, but uh, really quickly because uh, I'm not going to be able to do this next week because Mark will just uh, ride me like a like a <laughs> like an ancient pony. Uh, I got a lot of classical music stuff here to uh, make mention of. All of it courtesy of, courtesy of Naxos, who is always really wonderful to us, and and we like to return the favor. And you know this stuff doesn't really show up on the radar for a lot of people. So if you love classical music, here it is. Here's my real quick blitz on this. Uh, Herman Prey. The Schubert Song Cycles. This is from C Major on Blu-ray. Absolutely lovely. Uh, this has never been on Blu-ray before. If you love Schubert, like I love Schubert, and I do love Schubert. I, I, I learned piano and a lot of Schubert as a yeah, little kid. Yeah. I hated it at the time, but I love it now. Uh, then we have uh, Blomstedt conducting Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 9 with the Gewandhaus Orchestra. Uh, my German relatives will kill me if they ever hear me actually pronounce it that way. Uh, anyway you know the symphony number nine on blu-ray there's just nothing better DTS is just an absolutely amazing uh, audio it's really great this was recorded live in 2015 state of the art recording you'll never hear a more rousing live sounding uh, blu-ray audio performance of the ninth um, at the Royal Opera House from the Royal Opera courtesy of the Opus Arte line is uh, Cavalier Cavalderia Rusticana, and Pagliacci. Uh, Nothing that I am even remotely familiar with. Uh, I did not get a really extended look at this, but uh, for those who know that that these are operas that you like, I am unfamiliar with them. They are out there. Uh, Then uh, Gaetano Donizetti, one of the lesser-known opera figures, Uh, an opera known as Roberto Devereux. And uh, this was the orchestra and chorus of the Teatro Carlo Felice. Um, pretty pretty classic rousing uh, opera stuff here. Uh, this all kind of takes place around the court of Elizabeth, the, the Elizabeth I, Queen of England. And uh, I followed it fairly well. Um, it's interesting to see the Elizabethan world depicted in an Italian opera. I have to say that, but mm. it actually works. And uh, that entire, uh, thing actually is done again in a very different performance. Uh this is the uh, this is Donizetti's Roberto Devereux uh done by the orchestra and uh, chorus of the Teatro Real de Madrid. And uh, it's quite different by comparison. So if you if you want to uh sort of compare the two, you could you could pick them both up and and get a sense of how the Italians do it versus how the Spanish do it. Uh just a lot of hot temperamental Mediterranean uh, stuff going on there. Arrigo Boito's Mephistopheles. Which, this is really interesting, weird, postmodern stuff. This is uh, this is kind of a... This is what you expect from modern German opera. It's like uh, a lot of... It's like rock and roll Weimar Republic opera. It's crazy and eccentric yeah. and weird and completely unhinged. Um, uh, also, Bruckner's Symphony Number no. Four with Christian Thielemann of the uh, Staatskapelle Dresden. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful performance. We always love uh, the we always love listening to uh, Bruckner. A fascinating performance of Hamlet with the Royal Shakespeare Company, done completely modern with uh, a black cast. Really, really awesome. Uh, just completely takes a, a whole new take on it, and it is uh, still, of course, the uh, you know Royal Shakespeare Company Stratford on Avon. Uh, performance recorded live right on the original spot, and it's beautiful. It just gives you a completely deeper understanding into what an amazing uh, story it is, no matter what the context. Uh, George Balanchine's The Nutcracker, performed by the New York City Ballet, beautiful part of the Lincoln Center at the Movies uh, series. This is on Blu-ray from C Major. It's just great. If if you're unfamiliar with Balanchine's Nutcracker, it's just one of the great all-time beautiful performances. It's fabulous. And uh, Verdi's La Traviata, also from C Major, always classic. This is uh, staged by Rolando Villazon in a really very interesting uh, kind of semi-classic, semi-modern staging. Uh, Really, really nice there. And then uh, lastly on Blu-ray, and then we have a few DVDs afterwards, El Publico. Didn't get didn't really get into this. I got to be honest. This is a little bit too postmodern. This is uh, based on a play by Federico Garcia Lorca. Uh, It is uh, it's kind of it's kind of a weird ballet opera thing. Um, You know, it's the kind of thing that they make fun of in uh, on sketches like Sprockets. And then uh, lastly, got a couple here from the Russian Ballet Collection on DVD only. The Nutcracker by the Bolshoi Ballet and Swan Lake by the Bolshoi Ballet. These are from Kino and, uh, you know, just, I mean, anything by the Bolshoi Bolshoi Ballet is absolutely wonderful. These are uh, not HD or anything because these are from the 1970s and uh, therefore, you know, shot on really ugly 70s video. But still worth, uh, worth checking out after the fact. And finally, even for people who aren't fans of uh, classical music, this is really pretty awesome. Uh, Leonard Bernstein, Larger Than Life. This is uh, the first real documentary uh, study and look at the life and career of Elmer Bernstein that I've ever seen. And, you know, people who don't, I mean, a lot of people like I grew up, and you probably did too, Elmer Bernstein, the guy with the white hair who just so furiously conducted orchestras, and you just loved watching him just really get into it. There's so much passion. Nobody really, I mean, my generation doesn't realize what Bernstein was before I was born. Mm. Bernstein was
1: a rock star yeah. in the classical world. He. A protege? He was, I mean, he. I, I, I should say, uh, not a protege, uh, he was a savant. He was a. a sa- uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: He, I mean, you know, he was a rock star in the sense of women flocked to him he was the life of the party he took over every party he went to he was literally he lived the life of mick jagger they called him lenny they called him lenny he lived the life of mick jagger in the middle of the classical world and uh it really is it's astonishing um and what a what a talented guy you know he just he broke barriers he was an amazing figure so leonard bernstein larger than life from c major you gotta see this it really is uh it's just fantastic it's just absolutely fantastic. It is a wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful doc. With that, Tim, let's hit the new movies.
1: Uh, new movies indeed. <laughs> <Right>. oh. <laughs> so, So anyway, a friend of mine, a full disclosure, a friend of mine is an executive producer yes. on this film who, that we're who, about who, to talk about. Who I know as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, USS Indianapolis, which is an actual naval vessel that yeah. uh, experienced something interesting during World War II. This is one of those Nick Cage movies. You and I started talking about this. <laughs> this Like thirty of them a year now. uh, Yeah, you know, and they and they sort of turn out, and they have these people in them. This is Nick Cage, Tom Sizemore, Thomas Jane, uh, uh, you know, all of these people in this fairly large scale naval war movie about the events on the Indianapolis. You know, I don't know, uh, Mario Van Peebles directing. You know, Mario Van Peebles directing this movie. Uh, These movies kind of blow me away a little bit. I don't quite understand where they come from. I do not remember this movie having a theatrical release. Has Nick Cage on the cover here. And, uh, and, and you want know, all of these people in it. But there they are. They happen. They're fairly large scale, but you have fairly decent production values. It's not a very good movie, uh, despite uh, the, the subject matter. Special feature. I don't know. Talk about it a little bit. Where the hell do these movies come from?
0: Uh, these movies. Come, this is how these movies come together. There are a lot of people out there that want to put money into movies, and they all sit in a Rolodex. And these agents and uh, packagers, they just go through that Rolodex, and they call people up, and they say, you want a credit? It's going to cost you $300,000, $500,000, a too, mm. And people say, sure, I got some cash lying around, credit and red carpet would be nice. Do I get to meet Nick
1: Cage? Uh, fair and enough. And that's what it is, right? There are these yeah. actors, these sort of once-were-movie-star sort of actors, certainly were-once-significant-actors yeah. sort of actors. And you know, for a price, they, they, will, they will come and act. You know, it's like hiring uh, a, an old rock star to come play at your kid's uh-huh. bar mitzvah or something yeah, like yeah. that. And yeah, it definitely happened. But it doesn't mean it was particularly good. It's uh,
0: here's a question I have for you: How long do you think we will wait, if ever, if this ever happens? Before something happens in Nick Cage's career where he is rediscovered Travolta style and uh, given a legitimate role in a major, possibly even a best picture winning film by a major director again. Will that ever happen? Will he ever be redeemed and come out of B-movie purgatory? If, if
1: Look, if, I, I know you don't have to go that far back to get Nick Cage to decent movies. Nick was in a really decent little India a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, called Joe. He was great in in, in Kickass, and yeah, he was great in Kickass, of course, which yeah. is sort of like you know, sort of sort of size movie. And certainly, you can get you can get to A list uh, starring Nick Cage movies when you get back to Lord of War. Yeah, you can certainly True. adaptation. You yeah, know, the, actually, these are all a minute ago. Now that I think about it. the numbers are popping up in my head. Some of these movies are ten years ago, but but certainly he's not 20 years on. No, that's true. From being, you know, a real yeah. a real kind of guy. He still looks good. You know, I don't know. Maybe you know years ago Sean Penn and Nick Cage got into it because that's Sean right. was very critical about some of the choices that Nick was making yeah. as an actor, you know, sort of they saw And they go on, way back as they friends. They go way back, you know, kind of kind of broke up their relationship there yeah. for a while. Uh, and I don't know, I, I'm starting this, at the time I thought to myself, hey, Sean, shut up, who are you to tell, you know, <laughs> you, you, you act over there in your corner of the room, I'll act over there, yeah. you know, I'm thinking Sean might have been right.
0: I, yeah, I think he was, and, uh, but Nick also had some financial problems, remember, yeah, he, he had, had to some, turn around
1: some, he had some weird, you know we
0: forget he was. I mean he was married for a moment to uh, uh, Priscilla Presley. Uh, Arquette. Pre- uh, no, to it to uh, 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 one uh, of the Arquettes for well, a minute. It was Patricia Arquette, but he was also married to Mar- uh, Lisa Marie Presley. Lisa Marie Presley, yes, yes, yes. yes so right. we forget that Nick Cage and Michael Jackson share an ex-wife. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, in more the, ways than I like, can think. Yeah. Up. So, but yeah, uh, you know he's got he's got those marriages and those divorces, and uh, he had some weird. Sp- habits for a while, but I, I think um, it's, gonna, it's not going to be within the next five years, but I think within the next ten years, somebody is going to give Nick Cage, they're going to throw him a bone
1: and he's going to have a Michael Keaton kind of career renaissance. Something, look, it's not him. Nick Cage can act. Can. Nick Cage can act. You just have to have a reason. You and I talked about him on the show a week ago yeah. or, or two. Look, in some I'll, movie that he was in with his brother. It's not, when you see him
0: be really bad in bad movies, it's not his fault. It's like that movie, The, uh, the Bronx Bull, well, which we talked about on radio and here. Yeah. Um, you, that movie is loaded with absolutely first-rate great actors doing terrible work. Yeah. Because sometimes you, just, you can't make a, a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Sometimes yeah. it's just a sow's ear. A hack
1: director doing hack yeah. work and a hack story. So anyway, that's that's a Nick Cage movie. Not much there. The Monster, uh, which is an interesting Zoe Kazan film. I like Zoe. I love Uh, uh, Zoe uh, Kazan. uh, uh, Scott Speedman and a few people who also sort of like fell off the radar there a little bit. Anyway, uh, this is a horror movie uh, about some people uh, who are out on a road trip. It's a dark road in the middle of nowhere. Car breaks down. And what do you think's on the road? Monster. Monster on the road. Got to deal with the monster on the road out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, i got to tell you, it's a lot of fun, and and it's pretty neat. It's from the director of Strangers. It's on Blu-ray and uh, uh, and HD here. Special feature, one special feature, a featurette called The Eyes of Darkness. This is actually a pretty intense and and, uh, neat little horror movie if you're into that kind of thing. I would suggest giving it a shot. Uh, I have uh, Ouija, uh, the original evil here. Uh, i talked about this movie on the radio on the radio program, too. These Ouija board mm-hmm. movies were actually pretty good little movies. Yeah. You know, they, they're kind of neat. Yeah. Look, uh, one thing you're not supposed to do uh, with the Ouija board, you're never supposed to play with the Ouija board alone. Uh, they are like two or three instructions you get. You, you, you get a Ouija board. Don't do these things with the Ouija board. If you don't do these things, everything will be fine. What do these kids do? Everything you're instructed not to do with the Ouija board is what these kids do. And, of course, they... They unleash a pulse-pounding evil. Anyway, this is pretty neat. Deleted scenes, the making of, uh, home is where the horror is. Uh, a feature commentary with the director Mike Flanagan. Um, again, if you're in the horror zone, if you're having some fun, these Ouija uh, board movies are fun. This particular, this one, Ouija Origin of Evil is. Uh, a you lot just want to smack
0: kids around in these horror films.
1: Just, I, kids. Read the box. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's why. Did you ever see the uh, the
0: comedy uh, the uh, the Final Girl? Oh yeah. See that? I just love that. Yeah. It's one of the best written films I've seen in years because it just it takes the whole – It all takes the all the tropes and just turns them upside down and inside out in this weird fantasy, it's just fantastic.
1: <gasps> oh.
0: I got a couple of 4Ks here. Um, here are our square-jawed 4K movies of the week. So we got ourselves a, a Ben Affleck 4K and yeah. we got ourselves a Tom Cruise 4K. So Ben Affleck in The Accountant and uh, Tom Cruise in Jack Reacher Never Go Back. Um, the Accountant. Uh, we talked about you of
1: those two movies. The better one is, to, is the Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which, I don't know why, that, but that's it's weird. Uh, ben Ben is just having a weird. Like his gangster film was but another know, one. That they was, live.
0: They live by night. It's supposed to be in the Oscar mix, and no, not even close. No, no. And and they sacrificed promoting this because they thought that that was the film. You know. I mean, an autistic accountant trying to take down the mob, what's the, where's the... Just I don't...
1: about the goofiest storyline that you ever will see. Uh, and Anna Kendrick, uh, plainly having no idea, I'm watching this movie, and the one thing I know for sure is that Anna Kendrick has no more idea what the hell is going on in this movie <laughs> than I do. I'm looking at her in every scene, and I can see it in her eyes. She's like, what's going on? <laughs> you can see it in her eyes. Thinking...
0: I read the script. It didn't make sense then. I'm on the set. Makes less sense now. <laughs> you know, uh, the check cleared. What the, the check cleared. Anyway, J.K. Simmons uh, collected a check. So did John Lithgow and Jeffrey Tambor. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I just wonder how these things come together, and I guess just they... they... Yeah, that, that's
1: one of those things, you know, And uh, was that based on a book? I think that was based on a book, too. Uh, I'm
0: sure thing. it probably was. Uh, so,
1: you know, you have some decent piece of material that maybe it was okay, and then you start piecing together your elements. And the next thing you know, you got Ben Affleck, and you got Anakin, and somebody writes you a check, and you make some dumb answers. The people. great
0: discovery for me was that the Treasury Department has its own sort of little mini FBI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is
1: out there looking around. weird. Uh,
0: anyway, and then the um, the other 4K, uh, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Uh, I You
1: know, I feel pretty good about this. Um, I had a good time at that movie. Yeah, had a, Jack. had a good time at that Jack Reacher right? movie. I sure did. I, I kind of want more of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I got to be honest, I'm enjoying
1: the character. That one was kind of neat. Because, I, think know,
0: I like this better than the previous one.
1: Oh, oh yeah. You know, the complaint was that he, because I used to read those books. Yeah. And he, Tom Cruise, doesn't, in any way, shape, or form, or resemble uh, Lee Chow Oh, not even, cl- not even he's close. He's supposed to be six foot five knock yeah, yeah, yeah. guys out with one but Tom Cruise is just remotely yeah. just wrong in every possible yeah. way yeah. to play that character. Yet he still pulls it off. He absolutely pulls it off because he's Cruise. He just, yeah. he just, ri- He just,
0: he inflates himself on that screen to yeah. fill the the persona. Yeah, a lot, a lot of fun stuff here. A lot of great extras on this, uh, mostly featurettes. But um, you know what? I I I just I, I turn everybody to this to just say if you want to understand why Tom Cruise continues to be our last movie star, just watch what he does. He is uh, watching any any Cruise performance is a clinic in how to be a movie star.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to get out of your own way. Yeah. Uh, in that particular one, he lets the ladies have a lot of of those yeah. scenes, you know, fight scenes and stuff like that to the storyline. He just he's like, you know what? ladies absolutely <laughs> go ahead and do it knock yep, that guy for out. Sure. knock that guy out i got american pastoral here uh ewan mcgregor's directorial debut you know um a commentary track on this with ewan mcgregor which is the best thing about uh, this this dvd release this blu-ray dvd release this movie did not work at all just didn't work
0: and that is that, that's a that's a tragedy because you know if there's an actor that i really would have rooted for having a directing debut it would have been mcgregor yeah. he's just he, you know one of my favorite actors he's just a delight um jennifer but,
1: connelly dakota fanning and yeah, yeah
0: but um you know he was trying he was quoted early on as saying that he didn't feel that most of the novels by uh, uh, Philip broth by Philip Roth necessarily worked as movies and he wanted to try to do something that worked and I'm beginning to wonder now, is it, because it's true, most of the Philip Roth movies, yeah. really, the, A Human Stain. A uh, Human uh, Stain didn't, didn't work didn't at all. Didn't work. Uh, it, I, and I'm just beginning to wonder, is it is it just because play. Roth, yeah, is it just because Roth is unadaptable? Is it because he doesn't, because, when you, because Roth as a writer is, it's very interior. Yeah. And I'm just beginning to wonder, are, are, is everyone just sort of beating their heads against a wall, trying desperately to wring some money out of a great, a novelist without realizing that
1: maybe these novels just can't be made into movies. And, and, and the thing, because I've heard Roth talk about there's this, there's a great PBS documentary about him and his novels. And, and he has a desire. He's different from most novelists in that he has the desire for his books to be made into good movies. Mm. He, he's actually waiting for it. He would like it to happen. <laughs> uh, as opposed to you know many novelists who you know, don't yeah. want to go anywhere near Hollywood and all that. Kind. He's over yeah. there hoping and waiting and has his fingers crossed, and you know what? Nothing. Yeah, uh, just not happening. Uh, so far, as that's concerned, that's anyway, too bad. I mean, it's,
0: it is it is not, it is nicely made, but it just narratively does not work. Despite the really amazing cast. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right. But Pete Hammond calls it a powerful and important film. He Pete, Pete, Pete Hammond. It, Pete.
1: Pete Hammond loves everything. Go for it, Pete. Go for it, Pete. Kevin Hart. Weird, 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 weird. Kevin Hart movie. What now? This was kind of this is this is a this is a, a, a comedy concert film. Yeah. But it doesn't start as a comedy concert film, right? It starts mm-hmm. as like an actual movie. Well, he's trying to do a little bit of what Eddie Murphy yeah. sort of dabbled
0: in, right? To make concert films that are more than just a guy performing. They yeah. sort of weave other things into
1: them. A yeah. bit of a narrative, some other characters. Yeah. Halle Berry playing Halle Berry here, Don yeah. Cheadle playing Don Cheadle. There's a poker game. He has to go yeah. out and make fifty people, thousand <laughs> people laugh, and he fills the guy. Really, now, what's important here is that the comedy film. Is, the, the, yeah. the concert film is funny. Yeah. Kevin Hart is funny. One As of the best stand-up comedians, on-stage stand-up comedians today. Perfectly fine sort of, you know, big movie uh, comedic actor, yeah. you know, juxtaposed against a Rock, against, uh, against Ice Cube, yeah. against whoever it is. You can stand him in, well, next to any one of those guys. He makes it a little bit funnier. But he's a damn good stand-up comedian. I have
0: been laughing at Kevin Hart for so many years, and I'm so happy. I remember for the longest time he would pop. You know, before he really, really popped, when he was doing uh, he was doing commercials. You know, yeah. he'd show up in like a Subaru commercial as the guy who's driving the, the Subaru over the mountain, going yeah, <laughs> and you're laughing because he's just enjoying it way too much. And you know, uh, I just thought, gosh, I wish he'd get some better work. And he's finally popped, and I'm glad. Um, but I do want. I would love to see him stretch and not just be. That guy, yeah. the little comic relief guy. Next to some guy. You yeah, know, yeah. You yeah. know, I'd love to see him stretch and, and do a dramatic role because I'll, I know he can kill it. You know I what I the know burn is?
1: You know what the burn is? Hmm. And, and, and we've been talking about this for, the last, for, for a couple of weeks now. Your know, Oscar nomination just came out. Yeah. All the movies that we talked about that we thought yeah. that we would be talking about now. There, there are a few where that didn't happen. Uh, Mr. Church. And Eddie Murphy. Yeah, movie. no, absolutely, perfectly fine, sort of dramatic. Yeah. And I, I, you and I had both been talking. Eddie, do it dramatic. Eddie, do it dramatic. So Eddie, yeah. what does he do? He goes and does a dramatic thing. It's a pretty good mo- movie too. Yeah. Nothing. 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 No, nobody hated on it. It's not bad. It got reviewed fairly nicely. Just, people thought it was too saccharine, yeah. too yeah. sentimental, yeah. too predictable. Yeah. And all of which is true. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah that, that happens there. Uh, where Let's are we going here? Uh, uh, Yes.
0: Uh, yeah, the uh, Light Between Oceans. Oh, my goodness gracious. Heavens to Betsy. Uh, wow. So, you know, th- th- for some reason, there are people out there, and this is unfortunate. This is one of the movies that has momentarily resurrected the Touchstone brand for, for Disney. Uh, the Touchstone brand really gets pulled out like two or three times a year now because for yeah. movies that... You know, Disney has certain brands now. They are no longer... It's no longer Touchstone Hollywood Pictures. Hollywood Disney. Pictures. Now, yeah, that's, that's gone. Now it's, you know, Marvel and Lucasfilm and uh, Pixar and Disney. And then, oh, we don't really know what to do with that. It's kind of like a real movie.
1: Stick it in Touchstone.
0: Stick it in Touchstone. That's what they do now.
1: So, uh, yeah, this is... Uh, this I, is I always loved that Hollywood Pictures brand, by the way. The, the, Hollywood too. Pictures put out... More fantastically engaging, popular, not particularly expensive, but well done movies across this all like late late seventies through the the middle eighties. Then I don't know. Yeah. So, uh,
0: here's the thing. This is, this is very much one of those kinds of things. Like, who's the guy that wrote all the, writes all the saccharine uh, lovey-dovey oh, uh, movie?
1: Uh, oh, Oh, yeah. Uh, the Notebook. And, yeah, that guy. Nicholas Sparks.
0: Nicholas Sparks. So, this is, this is like drifting into this really maudlin Nicholas Sparks territory again. Uh, poor Michael Fassbender. He's a great actor. He's been taking a few really lame roles, like the Assassin's Creed, whatever.
1: Yeah. Banked well,
0: the- at least that was a paycheck. Bank the money, man. Just bank the money, but please do a good movie once in a while. Anyway, he's a lighthouse keeper. Oh, and Alicia Vikander is his wonderful sweet wife. Oh, that's fabulous. We know what's going to happen uh and ne- by the way neither of them are Australian this film takes place in Australia neither of them are Australian <laughs> i don't know what the i don't know who is thinking that anyway uh so we know ex- we know what's where this goes and there's you know there's a baby and then there's all kinds of other horrible stuff that happens and you know it just uh, rachel vice shows up and she's just some she's just, like bizarre weird weird presence and uh you know i just I, you know no it's just what a misguided effort. I, I'm sure the novel probably was engaging, but at a certain point, somebody in the room has got to raise their hand and just say, this is really taking on a very, very ridiculous uh, veneer. Uh, Derek, director Derek Cienfranc, who did uh, Blue Valentine, was mm, it, with, mm. uh, with Ryan Gosling? Yeah, and, Michelle Williams. Yeah. Um, very capable director, but really, really needs tougher material. This is not that tougher material unfortunately anyway uh blu-ray and uh uh ultraviolet combo set and uh not much by way of extras so you know featurette stuff in a commentary it's perfectly fine as far as extras but not a great movie yeah uh
1: th- this this is this is this 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 film here is interesting too the, this this sort of this is not exactly like that USS Indianapolis movie one would uh, yeah. would do this is um operation chromide which was it has to do with the Korean, uh, in, in Korean War, the Battle for Indochine, right? And there were all these sort of operations that were going on. General Douglas MacArthur was involved in them and involved a whole lot of South Korean soldiers who were sent up north to go behind enemy lines to affect all sorts of things that they could do so that uh, General MacArthur could, uh, could, could pull off the operations who Here's the thing about all of that. It didn't work. They all failed. I mean, technically speaking, they didn't fail. The operations succeeded. Yeah. But they failed because the Korean uh, War or or the Korean um, uh, divide, the peninsula is still there and it's still a problem. So I don't really see why you make a movie about any of that. Nevertheless, this is uh, Liam Neeson playing Douglas MacArthur. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you, yeah, no, that's, got, a, that's good casting. If You've got nothing else but that's uh, That's good casting. Special features are sort of making up thing with a little historical documentary uh, that, that, that sort of explains well, right. these operations. It's kind of interesting stuff from that point of view. Um, another man will. This is a David E. Talbert film. A uh, uh, David uh, E. Talbert help me, videotaping. Is help, what me, it is. help
0: me understand the appeal of David E. Talbert because it seems to me like he is. So I don't want to call him the um,
1: the poor man's. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Tyler Perry. I think yeah. that's exactly the. the is that the, fair? It's it's one hundred percent fair. He and he and Tyler Perry were on the same bend doing these sort of plays. All through – my wife uh, was in one of these plays, was in right. a David E. Talbot play back right. in like, I don't know, 1992 or something like yeah. that, roaming around the country doing these plays. And he and Tyler were doing these plays. Tyler managed to pull off a thing where he, he had that central character of Medea, sort of shaped all of his things around that, got his deal with Lionsgate, made all of those movies fine. David, on the other hand, never really had that sort of central character, that Medea sort of character. Yeah. But these plays are the same. They're all sort of set in the black church. And he would videotape them uh, just like Tyler did. And then he would sell them literally out of the trunk of his car, you know. Uh, And actually pull off a real movie career for himself. There are a lot of David E. Talbert films. And they all start with David E. Talberts, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. So is he ever going to make the next step? Uh, You know, I do not see him transitioning uh, to the level... that uh that tyler perry works at not that he's not that he's you know i mean he's he's operating just fine he he spits these things out left and right this is one of the filmed plays though this is not a feature film this is a filmed play um so you know i don't know Uh, we, we we shall have to see nevertheless um if you like sort of good family homey uh entertainment black folk entertainment that's one of those movies for you
0: all right, so uh, my wife was out of town. I was babysitting the whole time, and while my daughter watched Disney uh, animated movies, uh, I-, I could burn through a whole bunch of PBS docs, and uh, he- there's a lot of good ones. So here we got a little backlog of PBS docs that are really worth mentioning. Uh, front Lines Confronting ISIS absolutely riveting, perfect. Uh, everything you expect from Frontline, uh, it fills in all the blanks, because this is such a political football. Yeah. And you watch the news, and you don't, nobody really tells you anything.
1: They just tells you, tell you who says they're going to blow it up and who says they won't. This, what, what, what language we're going to use to describe them as, Islamic yeah. terrorist or Frontline, blah, 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 blah.
0: blah. Frontline cuts through all that, and they go right to the heart of the matter. Uh, from the Secrets of the Dead series, Graveyard of Giant Beasts... Uh, this is a really interesting uh, look at a, um, at, at a period uh, in the Earth's history where there was just a lot of really, really big stuff on the Earth, including the 43-foot-long snake known as the Titan, Titanoboa. And uh, eventually they discovered that the Titanoboa was not even the master of its own era or domain. There was like a giant crocodile <laughs> that, that, that it had to fight. This is, I mean, can you imagine being the scientists, the scientists that keep discovering all this stuff? So
1: Ray Harryhausen
0: was so far ahead of his time. It's, <laughs> yeah, totally. So this, this is really, this is all about the detective work going back 58 million years to uh, kind of try to unearth these ancient grudge matches and fossils. It's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, Let's see. Uh, My Congo is an installment of nature that goes to the Congo, which unfortunately most of us know far too much through political conflict uh, and don't really understand what an incredibly gorgeous and beautiful natural wonder it is. And it is very much so. And it will just make you cry how beautiful the Congo is. It is... uh, It is one of the great treasures of the earth, and uh, it's nice to sort of cut through all of the the history and the politics and the geopolitics and get to that. Uh, That, That's a series, right? Nature is the series. Nature is the series. Nature is the series. And then also from nature is giraffes, Africa's gentle giants. My daughter is nuts for giraffes, uh, loves her giraffe pajamas. And I'll tell you, they are amazing creatures. Uh, This is a beautiful, beautiful um, look at their elegance, their speed, what they eat. All the things that make them just so unusual. And uh, I still remember when we went to the Wild Animal Park in San Diego, and they have giraffes that will just sort of you know, practically put their head inside your tram. <laughs> they're so <laughs> gentle. All they want to do is eat leaves. And when they run, it looks like they're running in slow motion, yeah, even though they're going, they're going of, about 50 miles an hour. That's
1: a long galloping that long thing.
0: thing. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we also have, we were just talking about the Korean War, we have the Battle of Chosin. Which is one of the amazing uh, survival stories of the Vietnam War of the uh, sorry the Korean War. Um, this is just uh, gut wrenching how you know there are these guys who survived this otherwise known as the Frozen Chosen, and uh, it is it is really amazing. This is from the American Experience series, and uh, I highly highly recommend this. If you don't know this story, this is the best way to see it. There are a lot of TV series. Uh, that have covered this instead this this from you know on the history channel i think even that that oliver stone thing war stories oh yeah had an had an installment on this at one point this is the one to watch uh as long as we're on the subject of war we've also got a couple other ones here i'm going to pull out uh USO for the troops this is a 75 year look at the uh, the USO which is uh you know one of the all-time great um inst institutions for entertaining the troops and just keeping their morale up. Really, really a a great look. You used to
1: love USOs when I was in the Air Force, as you know. I was in the Air Force for six years traveling around the world. The USOs were the most wonderful places in the world. No matter where you were, if you're on a military base, you go to most airports in the world, certainly all over the United States, it's a USO. Most people don't think about them or know them. Uh, But if you're in the military and you know that you can walk into a USO and you're just going to beat a whole bunch of people who are just like you, it's kind of an extraordinary thing. Very
0: much so. It's it's great. I used to hang out at the at the USO in uh, in Marseille in France oh, yeah. and, just, and yeah. play and play video games with the, <laughs> with the troops. And it was it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, we have a dramatic thing here from PBS, "Royal Wives at War" with Emma Davies and uh, Gina McKee, which is uh, the the story of King Edward VIII's abdication, which has been become a part of a lot of things, including uh, the uh, the uh, the Oscar winning um, King's Speech. That's oh, yeah. sort of a part of that as well. Uh, so you know that's become a and you know if you watch the the Crown on television and a lot of this stuff, so that's always part of the backstory these things. Mary anyway, Mrs
1: simpson mrs wallace simpson, yes yeah
0: yep, yep that too so this is that uh, getting inside that story again the abdication crisis of 1936 and uh looking at it through elizabeth the queen mother and uh the socialite wallace simpson who is the woman at the center of the scandal yeah. so uh yeah quite a quite a fascinating uh, uh look at that story definitely worth looking at if you're if you're a fan of all of that kind of legacy stuff on television royal wives at war and uh, just a couple other ones here, real quickly. Pearl Harbor into the Arizona. Uh, if you're not familiar, the the USS Arizona has been kind of it's it's it has remained on you know sunk since Pearl Harbor, and there's a memorial atop it, and uh, it's a, you know it's quite a quite a very solemn but yet reverential place to to visit. And, uh, this gets into what they have found inside the Arizona and how they have sort of archeologically unearthed a lot of details about Pearl Harbor and so forth. Mm. So it's, uh, that is, that is actually quite a, quite a good, uh, documentary as well. And, uh, then we've got, uh, I'll just do two more here so we can move on. Actually, I'll do this real quickly. Terrorism in Europe is a frontline, uh, documentary made with ProPublica, um, the, you know, we've been watching since 9-11 that most of these attacks have been taking place in Europe, including mm. two in Paris, uh, where you know, and, and another one in Nice when Mark was there last year yeah. in Paris on yeah. his birthday. Uh, and uh, it's, it's uh, fascinating how it affects Europe. And this is a way of looking at – we know how it's affected us. Mm. This looks at it across the ocean, and it's, uh, it's just superb.
1: Which, of course, has played out in all sorts of uh, geo, uh, European geopolitics, including Brexit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in, including the elections coming up in France. And, and, the, and the, coming the, up in and, Holland. And, and, and in Holland, the, 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 Netherlands. the right-wing movements. And in Italy rise. And in Italy, in, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, India, Nature's Wonderland. This is a production of BBC Earth. India is amazing. Uh, I remember I was rather young when people explained to me there are no tigers in Africa. Yeah. Tigers are in India. <laughs> You idiot. (laughs) And uh, I was like, you're calling a seven-year-old kid an idiot. (laughs) So anyway... You know what did I know? I watched I watched Ron Spikes Ely play. I watched Ron Ely play Tarzan. You know <laughs> I didn't uh, tigers, lions, they're big cats. They all come from the same place. What do I know? Jaguars. You know I didn't know the like, different parts of the earth. Yeah, so anyway, uh, India, nature's wonderland uh, is is beautiful. Everything you'd expect from BBC Earth uh, gets into just what an amazingly rich and diverse country India is, and it is. It is really incredible. It's just uh, it's so incredible, and I keep meaning to go there. I have so many Indian friends and. Feel like, I've betrayed it's really funny though because like I have
1: all my these Indian friends. You and I, you know, you're saying yeah. people a lot of we have these Indian friends, and I say that, you know, oh, yeah, gotta go to India, gotta go to India, yeah. And they all say to me, Don't, <laughs> 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 hey, don't go, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't go to India, you're fine. <laughs> and I'm saying, What you They're like, No, <laughs> <laughs> you're here, fine, go to Canada, oh. go to Canada, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's
0: funny. <laughs> Uh, the, it's a, it's a, you know, so many people. The most interesting thing about India I ever heard was from, um, an Indian actress, uh very famous Indian actress who, who said that the people in the West annoyed her because they all thought that India was this like grand spiritual center of gurus. And unless she said, you don't understand India is, is a country living in three centuries mm-hmm. simultaneously. And you can go from one to the other to the other within 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something we don't really understand. Yeah, yeah. It's... yeah. Anyway, and then lastly, on Blu-ray, and they always, they always do really great stuff on Blu-ray from PBS, The Story of Cats, documentary from Nature Again. Uh, I love cats. I grew up with cats. I'm a cat person. I'm not necessarily a dog person. No, I do like, I've learned to love dogs. Uh, this is two episodes, Asia to Africa and into the Americas that take you into the amazing diversity of species of cats and how they found their way all around the world and, uh, just the the nature of them and why they're so weird and why they want to murder people. Mm. And, uh, it's just, you know, cats, my favorite thing online that goes around every once in a while is, uh, is the uh, the list of the, the dog's diary. Day one, you know, love, 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 and all this <laughs> thing. And the cat's diary is day one, day, day, day 357 of my captivity. And it's this, you know, that's really funny stuff. Anyway, so uh, two hours, uh, two one-hour installments, really, really great stuff. And, you know, uh, so many interesting cats, and I especially love that they get into the ocelot uh, in, the, in the second episode of this. I loved, uh, I used to want to pet ocelot until my mother broke the news to me and said, there are some cats you're not allowed to have as a pet. That's one of them. <laughs>
1: They'll try to kill you. But it's little.
0: Yeah, no, but it's little but it's vicious. Yeah. It's a <laughs> wild cat.
1: Uh, what do I have here? Uh from 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 uh 1927. A lovely Clara Bow film with a young Gary Cooper and a children of divorce. This is, yeah. it, it, it's interesting because this is 1927, but the subject matter is so extremely contemporary. It's about uh, this woman who marries a guy uh, <laughs> She's in, whom she's in love with. He marries her because he really wants to marry this other woman, but he's afraid that his, that his marriage uh, to the woman that he loves might end in divorce in divorce, uh, because his parents' marriage ended in divorce. This is 1927 where where this is the subject, and it's really actually quite – Quite striking. And again, an insanely young Gary Cooper. That's He's great. almost as pretty as Clara Bow uh, in this movie, who was the It Girl, let us not forget. Was, that's right. That's, that's, right. That's, who, that's who she was. Uh, that's, so, anyway, uh, there's a whole lot here. Blu ray from Flickr Alley. Yeah, we, who lots is, of bonus material. Who is a
0: partner in, uh, in uh, the uh, streaming endeavor? That uh, of TCM and uh, Criterion that we. Love oh, so much. oh, yeah, uh, uh, FilmStruck, FilmStruck, yeah. That's right. They're yeah. a partner in that.
1: Have you moved over to that yet?
0: I have. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Should I? You know, if you have the time, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's a $99 subscription for the whole year, yeah. and I just thought, you know what? I am totally because I, I had, I had some, uh, I had three months free on it because I was a beta tester. Mm. So I had a three month free, and then uh, I figured another two weeks of you know the grace period uh, yeah, before oh, the yeah, new yeah. subscription. And I, I'm like. $99, I'm totally going to get my money's worth out of that if I just watch 10 things. Yeah. And uh,
1: I, I have already. Yeah, it's yeah. worth it to me. Because go uh, I was a Hulu, Hulu. guy because yeah. Criterion was at Hulu for the last three, every, four, five years. We, every
0: week, more great new stuff comes up. And there are, there are some interesting TV series on there, too, from the 80s. So, really? Yeah. So it's really worth checking out.
1: All right. I think I might have to make that yeah. play. Uh, uh, the, most, the Most Dangerous Game uh, from 1932, another, another fairly neat movie, um, uh, kind of dark and interesting. This is a movie about a guy, one of these uh, sort of crazy hunter guys. He arranges to have this uh, ship um, um, shipwrecked on an yeah, island yeah. Uh, so that he can hunt people. Let me put it this way. If
0: you've ever seen that episode of Gilligan's Island where Rory Calhoun yeah. decides <laughs> that Gilligan is his
1: ultimate prey – this is basically
0: what that's based
1: on. So. <laughs> it's kind of kind of, Joel McRae, Fay Ray again, you know, wonderful uh, actors going all the yeah. way back to the silent era. Uh, a most uh, a dangerous game, along with Gal the Headhunter, which is the second film on this. I don't know that film, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, uh, y- y- what's neat about these movies? They're only about an hour long. Uh, Features back then, 60, 70, 80 minutes long. That was a feature film. We might want to reconsider that. (laughs) That's, that's, That's not the craziest thing in the world, you know, as we drift toward movies of three hours long. So David Bowie now dead uh, a year. Yeah. Uh, so It's going to be an interesting memorial memoriam uh, this year. Yes it will.
0: Yeah. It sure will. The Oscar memoriam is it's going to get, it's going to go on. For, I mean it deserves to go on yeah. for about 25 years. It's minutes. one of those
1: years of where you almost would rather you look just just skip it. Uh, and it was going to gonna leave somebody out and, and somebody's going to be upset and and it had to wind up with not just killing
0: Carrie Fisher but Carrie Fisher and her mom and her, her like, mom oh my gosh you just horrible wretched it starts with David Bowie and Prince and then it ends with with Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. And I just want to cry. So many people. It's just such a horrible I'm year. I'm just
1: glad George Michael wouldn't in any movies. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. <laughs> no. Okay, good. No. <laughs> good.
0: Anyway, so uh, David Bowie and the Man Who Fell to Earth, the uh, the Nicholas Rogue classic, which continues to be just weird and wonderful and bewitching in so many ways, is now out in its ultimate all-time ever edition. This is the one you want to own. Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD uh, meaning ultraviolet it is uh, phenomenal. This is the limited collector 's edition it is It is big and heavy and just loaded with extra stuff and If you are a fan of this film, you must own this. Nicholas Rogue is a director who went from being a a, a cinematographer yeah. in the 1960s uh, People need to remember he was he was a camera operator on Lawrence of Arabia yeah. and he was elevated to cinematographer for Dr. Zhivago. He was the original guy who was going to shoot Dr. Zhivago and after just a little bit Lean looked at him and said, you know, Nick, you're just a little too weird. <laughs> uh, this is not really going to work out. Uh, I don't know if that's what he said, but it was something along those lines and of course he went on to shoot uh, a
1: walkabout.
0: makes so many great movies as a director. I mean, it really helped out. him.
1: The Witches. The Witches, yeah. Uh,
0: So, you know, uh, Man Who Fell to Earth is still one of the ones that he is most remembered for. And uh, this is three discs, a Blu-ray with the feature and bonus material, a DVD with the feature, and another DVD with extra bonus material. Uh, There's just so much on here. You know, a featurette on the Lost Soundtracks and interviews and... uh, Tons and tons and tons of great material, including an interview with Nicholas Rogue and with writer Paul Meyersberg. It's just great, and it is a fantastic transfer. Lionsgate has pulled out all the stops, and uh, you get Ultraviolet as well. It's a it's a it's a win 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 situation. It's fantastic. The man who fell to Earth can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Cannot go wrong. And then um, we're just talking about Criterion. We got four fabulous Criterion's this week, all all across the spectrum, all across the spectrum. Here's what we got from Criterion. Uh, Carol Baker, the wonderful Carol Baker in Something Wild. Uh, this is the Jack Garfin or Garfine film, not to be confused with the Jonathan Demme Something Wild, uh, yeah, 90- starring Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is from 1961. Uh, this is a film I was otherwise completely unfamiliar with, and uh, I am not really familiar with Garfine as a director. It uh, means essentially nothing to me. But the score by Aaron Copeland, I have heard many times. I've heard Sweets featuring the music, and it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, This is a fascinating movie, very much in the 60s vein of movies that are kind of moving toward the 70s. And um, it's uh, it it almost goes along with a lot of those other movies like um, uh, Afraid of the Dark and you know yeah. movies movies about just women who suddenly find themselves in horrible situations and it yeah. examines the psychology of tragedy and trauma and and psychosis and whatnot. In any case, this is one of those, and uh, Carol Baker is absolutely amazing as a woman who suffers a sexual assault and then tries to kill herself and is stopped by a guy played by Ralph Meeker. And uh, that puts you into a a fascinating kind of journey of discovery and and coping. And it's really, really very, very well done. Uh, And the Aaron Copeland music is just, Terrific! It's it's really great. So that he, is a,
1: he made a film called The Strange One, a Ben Gazzara film. It's, it would have been before that. film. Garfine, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, which, yeah, I remember that. Pat Hingle being in that film, I remember that. This uh, is
0: this is this is one I love. What Criterion, they'll they'll like. Pick something I've never heard of before.
1: Yeah, and just re- it's like, wow,
0: what a great discovery! Particularly you, if
1: it hasn't been treated, you know, because I think he only made three or four films all told. And you trust
0: the brand. Yeah. You trust Criterion to kind of show you. Uh, and then, of course, they've been for a while. Criterion has been re-releasing the uh, Fossbinder films that were originally released from the uh, the Wellspring uh, li- library. Wellspring doesn't really exist as a as a brand anymore. But they were all released, and then they went uh, out of print, and then they were, like, stupid expensive on eBay and Amazon. And uh, those people are all going to regret it because now they're all coming out again in Blu-ray from Criterion, including Fox and His Friends from 1975, uh, one of the quintessential Fassbinder films uh, about all of the, the, the dark edges of love. And um, it is, you know... It is, uh, it's a tough film to watch. It's very, very, very Fassbender, very uh, kind of cynical in its way that it looks at society. But and he's in it, which is cool. And he's in it, Because yeah. he's not in you know, all of it No, he's but he's one. in this one. And then we also have the all-time classic, His Girl Friday. Again, Cary Grant. But this is Cary Grant at his peak. With Rosalind Russell. This is just an absolutely delightful... How many, times have,
1: how, many, how, many, how many times have they made that movie? Well,
0: it was originally the front page. Originally front page. That's probably then,
1: second or third, that yeah, one. Yeah. Right? And
0: then, I think they did two front page versions. And then His Girl Friday, which then, is probably uh, the best. you got that
1: Jack Lemmon movie. Uh, the Jack Lemmon movie.
0: And then uh, you know which one is my favorite.
1: <laughs> which one? Are you gonna...
0: Switching Channels. The TV <laughs> version with Burt Reynolds. Reynolds. yeah. yeah. And, and Christopher uh, Reeve. Christopher Reeve. And, and, yeah, that was... Oh, my gosh. That was a dreadful, horrible movie uh and then lastly oh and by the way the extras on on uh, on uh, his girl friday are just through the roof uh they've they've got the uh, radio adaptation from 1940 and about
1: that (laughs) archival yeah archival
0: (laughs) interviews and it's just through the roof uh they even have an archival interview with howard hawks which is just fabulous uh so it just it goes on and on and on you could just live with this blu-ray forever and, and never get tired of it it's so wonderful the original great screwball comedy and then I'm so, so happy they came out with this. This is a, one of my favorite, favorite films uh, from the 1960s, the late 1960s, Black Girl by Usmane Simbene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this sort of start, this is the beginning of African cinema. And uh, it is uh, it really, truly extraordinary uh, in every way. It is it is a beautiful, poetic and a very short film again. We're talking. This is 59 minutes, Tim. Yeah, this is just uh, 59 minutes. But uh, truly, absolutely, a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, and it, it's you know one of the first films that gets into um, the the issues of, of African colonialism, yeah. European colonialism, it's in about Africa. A black
1: girl who leaves Senegal to go yeah. to France to become a housekeeper. Yeah. 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 And
0: it is and it is but it is absolutely poetic her perfor- she's a non-actress, you know? Yeah. And the performance is just absolutely riveting. I'm I'm not going to even try to pronounce her name because I know I'm going to completely destroy it. But uh it is uh it, it, I'm going to here I'm going to go ahead and try it. Um uh, Thérèse Diop. Did I do that? Yeah, mbessini yeah, Thérèse. Yeah, okay. Said, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. All right. It's, I, see those, I see those apostrophes between in African names, and they always scare me.
1: Well, see, in this one, is a little African and a little French. I yeah. know,
0: the French you got. It, well, the, you ter, the Therese I got, yeah. Yeah,
1: with yeah, that first name. It's like, okay, whatever. Yeah.
0: Uh, but, yeah, it is, it is you know, the, in, in terms of looking at the, the challenges of being a domestic um, at that particular time, and especially, you know, being a domestic is different in different parts of the world. If you're a Filipina working in the Middle East or if you are, say, a Central American working in America – it's very different from being an african working in in france mm. and especially in the 1960s so the cultural and the co- and the colonial aspects of this are just so fascinating it's, it's
1: just not a matter of social class in the united states you know for for a long time that had to do with race but not yeah. always because for a very long time in the early united states most of the help most of the servants in the prestigious homes of the united states anyway were were were, were irish girls yeah uh mm-hmm. were little white girls little Bridgets. that's yeah. what they called them Bridgets, yeah. you know uh, and so it wasn't a matter of race. It was a matter of class yeah. and, 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 and culture and some things like that. And then you sort of like work your way forward to the sort of black help uh, help of, of, of many houses. And movies like The Help and things yeah. like that. And even then, though, even then, and people don't really get that that really wasn't always a matter of race either. No. It's much more complicated than that, it, you know. It, it, the,
0: the one thing, having lived in France, that I, I uh, you know, I, and I'll go to a different conversation, too. Um, years ago, my father who was in, you know, the, who was fought in, in France in World War One and who, uh, and yes, World War One, I, I didn't <laughs> say World War One, I. I know I've talked about that on this show, uh, before, but, uh, my father was in France in World War One and, and later made friends with, uh, a woman on a train who became a very dear friend of the family who, uh, was born the product of a French soldier and a, and a Vietnamese mother mm. during the Indo-Chinese period. And she still lives in Paris. I still communicate with her. She's a wonderful woman. And I remember he, he told me once when he was visiting her uh, that he was, this was, I think, but it was before he married my mother. So we're talking about ni- about the 19, late 1950s, mm-hmm. okay? And he was visiting her there. And he was, oh, this is the late 1950s, and my father, who's from Kentucky, uh, is with her in cafes, and here are you know black men wearing berets and overcoats and kiss on the cheek, and you know with white French girls and the whole thing. And it was it was like late fifties. This was not what you see in America. Yeah. And my father said to her, he said, you know, this is really, I, I this is not the way it is in our country. <laughs> and um, she laughed. The woman who's biracial, by the way, and completely assimilated into her culture. And her answer was, um, our blacks are not like your blacks. Mm. The meaning being our relationship with all these different peoples is a colonial relationship, As whereas yeah. yours has a, has the problematic issue of hundreds of the, years the, of the, slavery.
1: The, the, the peculiar institution of slavery. Yes. Yeah, a different dynamic. It's a different dynamic. And, and in the 1950s, uh, our blacks, meaning our yes. blacks here, were going yes. <laughs> to France. Like, like Gordon, Gordon Parks. and Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Parks. Parks. And all the, the, yeah, yeah and
0: uh because they were welcomed there yeah. you know we and, and you know this gets into the la la land thing where a lot of people i've heard a lot of people make the criticism you know like oh it's a it's a jazz movie with all these white people and you know why is it that the guy who's the jazz purist is the white guy and the jazz, the guy who's the revolutionary has to be the, the the black guy i'm like no let me explain something to you jazz today do you know who preserves The legacy of traditional jazz? It's people like Clint Eastwood. Do you know where it was preserved? It was preserved in France. When you look at the movies that had uh, that had scores that went and got round Ameri- midnight,
1: they're all French directors yeah. that yeah. did it. Yeah. So, uh,
0: Louis, Louis Malle in yeah. Uh, yeah. *Elevator to the Scaffold*. Well,
1: well, and, and, and certainly, look uh, in, in 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 black culture, black American culture, right? Yeah, black folks will and, and black folks will talk to you about this. Admit this, you know, me being one, I can do it. At. We have not embraced our specific art form, jazz, mm-hmm. in black American culture. The way the rest of the world has True. writ large, frankly. Yeah. Uh, in, in Asian countries, in Japan, and Vietnam for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, you will find all sorts of uh, music files uh, who are jazz aficionados. Yeah. you will. If you roam around most of the urban black uh, cores of America, you won't find all that many 15, 16, 18, 20, 25, 35. You gotta get to my age. You mm-hmm. gotta get, I'm 55. You gotta get to my age before you start finding black folks who are aficionados of jazz. And I come from a father who was a jazz drummer. I mean the connection has to be that strong—a sort of Marsalis family sort of connection—before you start finding jazz popping up in a, as an ordinary sort of thing in black in the black community. And so to bring that full circle,
0: uh, and by the way, that that also reminds me of the fact that you know it's it's Jewish emigres and Asian yeah. emigres who are the, the virtuosos for classical music, yeah. Yeah. which is a form that they were all once completely culturally shut out of. So these are all interesting dynamics, and that's where it gets interesting in France. Well, it's,
1: it's, it's, because you brought up the La La Land thing, which yeah. by, by the way went back to Whip too. There were some, oh, some 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 similar yeah. attacks on Damien Chazelle. Yeah, you know, black you make a white kid making a movie about yeah. jazz drummers and all. You know, is he usurping all that? And, yeah. and I gotta tell you, I, I've been I've been poking back at that over the course of this yeah. of this award season. I don't want to hear that crap. <laughs> well, these are most of the people saying that are not jazz fans themselves. My my point exactly. Yeah. You know, um, uh,
0: but it it, it is it, this to bring this back full circle. When I lived in France, that was the thing I most noticed, which was. That it was not about race. Even though these are all different races, it's about the colonial relationship to these countries, which means that Indochina versus North Africa versus black Africa were all treated differently. And uh, the assimilation in Mm -hmm. France was always much better from... Black, non-Islamic, and from Indo-Chinese immigrants mm-hmm. and former plus, colonies, plus
1: the Vietnamese and the, Cambodia, the versus, Cambodians,
0: versus any part of Africa that was Islamic. Yeah. That's where Algeria, the Algeria, Morocco, and so that's why. <laughs> and so that's where that's where you know, and all of this stuff, by the way, Black Girl deals with yeah. in 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 a, in a Quick, brisk hour, and yet an incredibly uh, efficient and poetic way. Uh, if you are not familiar with the work of Ousmane Simbeni, this is the film to to begin discovering what an amazing visionary filmmaker he 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 he, he was at that time, and, yeah. and uh, you know continues to be
1: through through it's his body of work. It's a very interesting thing, though, as we sit here, and you know, the, our first black president has just left office after two terms in office. Yeah, I can guarantee you, right now. The, a black, uh, a native born black person could not be elected to the presidency of France. No, not, not in a million
0: years. Not, you, you, not certainly million not, years.
1: Today. certainly no. not today. Certainly so not today. So as much as we think about the problems that we have in America, vis-a-vis race, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff, oh no, no, no. And I it's really know. interesting too because there's something, this is, not, we're not getting too far off track yeah. here. There's something about the legacy of slavery specifically right, that I think leads us to a different place than that legacy of colonialism Absolutely. led the French. For one thing, because of the legacy of slavery here, black Americans have actually taken ownership of their citizenship mm-hmm. in this country right so yeah. so, so it 's like a claim on the thing oh yeah. no i'm an american' yeah. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. I, I own that for real, I pick cotton yeah. i'm an American <laughs> as opposed to all of those colonial uh, you know those refugees from from colonies or yeah. whatever who I never, never really have taken ownership of their French citizenship, even though sometimes they run three generation deep. That's very true. But they just the, the ownership of being true. French isn't there yet. And I it's a weird thing that came out of the the peculiar institution of slavery, but it's a thing that gives us ownership. It's ours. These are the fruits of history. Yeah. So interesting stuff.
0: With that, and then uh, let's see. we got a few more things to kind of round out uh, as time runs short. You know, let me hit the uh, the four from Twilight Time. Twilight Time, like criterion is something we look forward to every single month. Uh, we they, they just always pick such interesting stuff. I just continue to salute what they do at Twilight Time. Um, Stanley and Iris. Yeah. A movie I did not give a lot of great credit to in one 1990. Of my, one of the
1: first films that I ever wrote a professional film review of. It's Martin Ritz, yeah. Stanley and Hours. It might, might be the second one. Actually, I think you assigned me to... I, 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 I know. <laughs> you sent me to review that film in have. Westwood at the village. Yeah. it was it, that. That's exactly I, what I, happened. I think I remember yeah. that,
0: actually. I, this film has actually aged really well for me, I have to be honest. Nick Redman, who's one of the partners in uh, in Twilight Time, uh, does the uh, audio commentary along with uh, Julie Kirgo. They've done really great work on other films and this is one where they just absolutely nail it. Everything they say, I agreed with. Um, also includes an isolated music track as they often do. And, um, you know, it, it, to pair Robert De Niro with Jane Fonda under the direction of Martin Ritt is something that uh... I, I don't know why I took it for granted at the time. Maybe I was just hoping for a different kind of Martin Ritt movie, but you know what? It is a really well-acted and a really sensitive film with two well, amazing it sort of, performers. It
1: sort of, sort of harkens back to Norma Ray, Robert 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 uh, De Niro plays this man who's uh, extremely brilliant, sort of mechanically, but he can't read. He's illiterate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, He meets this woman who's uh, Jane Fonda. My, I remember my one criticism of that movie at the time. It's about 1990 or so. Yeah, it's 1990. 90. And and I remember Jane Fonda being so beautiful in that yep. movie. And she's playing like a waitress or a cook or something like that. I saw sort of, you know a real blue collar kind of lady, uh, and kind of like kind of like Sally Field did in Normal Ray. Yeah, you know? yep. uh, And I'm looking at I'm looking at uh, Jane Fonda in this movie, and she just looks fantastic. <laughs> I'm just yep. like, why well, God, you're beautiful, yeah, you know? But I just don't think I believe you've been washing dishes all day lately. Yeah. But that was my only my only complaint about that. And speaking of Jane Fonda, also from
0: Twilight Time, we've got uh, the lovely Comes a Horseman uh, with uh, James Caan, Jane Fonda, and Jason Robards. Uh, this is one of those 70s-era westerns. Uh, you know, It's a little bit revisionist. 1978, kind of late for the western era. This is a bit when it's starting to kind of on its last legs. Directed by Alan Pakula, Alan yeah, J. Pakula of uh, the All the President's Men. And, you know, the, the plot is basically one we've heard a million, million times. I mean, you got, uh, you know, Jane Fonda and James Caan have a ranch, and Jason Robards is the, is the land baron who wants them off. He wants their land. And uh, these are all great actors doing their best work, and we think we've heard that plot before. But you know what? Somehow, in Pakula's hands, mm. it becomes almost like a political commentary. Mm. It almost becomes a contemporary thing. So it's uh, you know, this was produced by Winkler and Chardoff, coming off of Rocky, they when they were doing all their uh, their best work. The best thing about this is the uh, cinematography. Gordon Willis absolutely kills it. Gordon. Beautiful.
1: The prince and of,
0: the Prince of Darkness. They prince called. of Darkness. <laughs> you know, you know my you know my Gordon Willis story, right? Uh. Divergent. Because I was, I was supposed to be writing the book on the restoration of the Godfather at one point. Which I remember. Was, yeah. 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 And uh, that, of course, never happened because Paramount just couldn't get their act together and cooperated. If you, you know, if you go into a Paramount office and say, do you mind cooperating and helping me have access to all of your files and your photos and your things? Oh, yeah. really? Uh, maybe. I don't know where they are. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just horrible. But I sat in on a uh, on a timing session on, or on a, uh, a a restoration correction session with um, Robert Harris, who was you know overseeing it, and um, uh, the the guy the the engineer there, and then the uh, 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 Alan Daviau was mm. sitting with him. A cinematographer. And, yes, and Alan Daviau was communicating on the phone with Gordon Willis in New York, because Gordon Willis is old and isn't going to travel. He's not going to Skype yeah. or anything like that, and so. Davial was literally Willis's eyes in the room ah. and and it was extraordinary to hear Willis ask a question and Davial give him the answer. And just go. That is amazing. That you, like you trust his eyes to communicate to you over the phone what you expect to see. That's that's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, a, that's
1: a real language. And right I day. sat
0: in. I sat in on a day of that, and it was just it was a it was amazing to hear the voice. So anyway, Gordon Willis such a such an amazing figure. Uh, and then a couple, of, a couple of to finish off a weird one and a classic. The, the weird one is the Mad Magician in 3D Twilight Time. Like Criterion, oftentimes throws us a, a, a curveball, and boy, is this a curveball! I didn't even know this movie. Uh, this is from 1954. Uh, which was another 3D craze that died. The um, there's a Three Stooges short on this as well, which is is kind of a, a nice bonus, and an audio commentary by David Del Valle and Stephen Peros that really helps fill in a lot of the blanks about this very strange 3D movie with uh, Vincent Price uh, that I had that, c- that was completely off of my radar. So anyway, uh, as a 3D movie, I can't say that it's it's really all that spectacular, but um, you know, it's short, I'll say that. It's about 70 minutes long. And uh, it's, uh, it's certainly a curiosity. The one that I cannot say enough about is one of my all-time favorite movies with just two beautiful people, uh, Two for the Road. Uh, frankly, it could have just been Audrey Heppard and One for the Road, and I would have been <laughs> fine with it. But uh, in 1967, Stanley Donan uh, directed just an absolute charmer with Albert Finney and Audrey Hepburn in Two for the Road. And it, is, it has you know one of the all-time great Henry Mancini uh, scores, scores, which is yeah. featured here as an isolated music track. Kirgo and Redman give us another great audio commentary. There's also the original commentary by Stanley Donan, yeah. which they got a hold of. And uh, I'm sorry, this movie is just beautiful. You just want these people to just, you know, Frederick Raphael wrote it, and you just want these two people to just be
1: on the screen forever. It is. 20, 20, maybe 25 years ago ago. at UCLA. Stanley Dolan used used to teach this class, Saturday mornings, at UCLA. And I, you know, I worked at UCLA for many years as a projectionist. And I projected that movie one Saturday morning for Stanley for the class that he was teaching. This movie, I projected an actual film, thirty-five millimeter film, yeah. uh, that I had to set up and run. Uh, and he talked about it all the way through the movie. It was really quite funny. That's he never wonderful. stopped talking the whole time.
0: Just a, you know the ultimate road trip movie with two of the most beautiful people ever, shot by Christopher Schalas with so much glowing, beautiful, yeah. just it is just resonant. I and it's so it so captures the sixties, doesn't it? Yeah. It, this along. With a man and a woman takes me back in ways like nothing else does. It's just like there I am, I, there I am again. Yeah. it's amazing,
1: absolutely amazing, quite quite astounding. I got a few over here. We'll yeah, let's let's we'll knock off. out a couple and then we'll uh, we'll call it. Uh some 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 old school uh, old school stuff here, including uh, the toll the the tollgate 1920 Lambert Hiller film. William S. Hart again playing you know, playing a bandit, playing playing a cowboy. Uh, he was a bandit. He got betrayed by his friends. He had to go back and. Uh, uh, and get his uh and get his revenge uh here um so you know interesting um um uh, sort of mid silent era film also on this exact same disc, his bitter pill um which uh, is also from uh nineteen this this a little bit That's also this is nineteen sixteen this is really yeah, early stuff really early 19, stuff 19, 19, and these, are, and these are these are
0: DVD-Rs, yeah, the these are DVD Rs. Yeah, from the Blackhawk Films collection. You f- might know a little bit more about fl- this. Flickr Alley and uh, David Shepard, who we gave oh, an award yeah. to a couple of years ago. The Blackhawk Films is his collection, and then, and he's working with Flickr Alley now. He used to work with uh, Image uh, before Robert Johnson bought it, and um, so now he does uh, all this stuff. Is these, re- these are basically
1: reissues uh, through uh, Flickr Alley. Very nice. Really, yeah. really neat stuff. Native Land, nineteen forty-two. Yeah. This is Paul Ropes the great Paul Ropes who whom we don't talk about enough in mm-hmm. any context, really. Narrating them, he of was Sydney Poitier before Sydney Poitier. Sydney Poitier before yeah. Sydney Poitier. You know, um, uh, there, there you go. Um, narrating a, a, a series of dramatizations uh, related to the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Which were under attack in the 1930s, and people mm-hmm. were worried about, you know, the communist Party. Yeah. So doing some things. So anyway, uh, Leo uh, Horowitz, at, uh, Horowitz, and Paul Strand's uh, native land, very Beautiful. interesting. A uh, little film from over there. Uh, what else do we have here? Doc Savage, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The man of bronze. It's on Blu-ray. <gasps> Michael Landerson, uh, Ron Ely. I think you mentioned Ron Ely a few minutes ago from from I, the I old did.
0: Tarzan. You know they're remaking this.
1: Did get you get out? Not? No, you did not know this. I did
0: not know this. Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne technically Ch- quite accurate, <laughs> Man of Bronze. Well, the thing is, you know, the, the Doc Savage is is a weird weird character. I mean, he's he's a weird comic book hybrid of a lot of things. But he's he is in he is supposed to be sort of a very very bronzed bulletproof guy with just thick thocks, thick locks of blonde hair. hair. yeah,
1: a Stan, Golden, a, Stan, hair. a Stan a Stan Lee a Stan Lee character, right? Doc no, Back? no, no. It Stan's was, was it was Lee?
0: it was outside of Stan Lee. Uh, it was they were these were like you know kind of graphic novel-y comics. They were their own thing. Anyway, this movie is so campy; it's beyond all comprehension. Directed by Michael Anderson, who you know really. Yeah, had done a lot of interesting films uh, leading up to this, um, including the Oscar winner "Around the World in Eighty Days." Yeah, uh, but uh, this film is so campy. I just all I remember is the song. I remember the song so well. Uh, you know every time the, the 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 chorus would chime in doc savage doc <laughs> savage he'd do something heroic and then the the chorus would kick in it's hysterical this movie anyway uh blu-ray doc savage from uh, the Warner Archive Collection thank you very well well done logan right. all right with that i think we are done tim thank you so much tell Another... tell, tell mark i kept the chair warm for him. i will i will do that indeed so we uh, we will be back next week with uh, with mark and we'll hear all of his stories and Hopefully things went well for him in the city of lights uh, meanwhile we 'll also keep monitoring all the Oscar stuff and then I will plug our Oscar show appearance at the uh, that 's the ace, the, ace. The ace theater downtown yeah, down so the uh, Tim theater. and I Tim and I will be joining the rest of the film week crowd at the Ace theater in downtown Los Angeles uh, on on a an upcoming film week show that's we 're taking on we're doing that on Sunday the sun S- one week before the Oscars yeah I think the 20th maybe I yes, think it is so I will fill everyone in. I'll, I'll certainly put it on the Facebook page. All right. With that, Tim, thank you for being here for the last few fun, weeks. And fun, fun. And we will, uh, we will see everybody next week.